0: Thank you Dan. Good morning everybody. It is a beautiful day. Winter's gone forever. It has to be. I took out the little post for snow at the court curb. So no more snow. Praise God. We get to gather together as God's people. We get to sing praises to God together. We get to read his word together. We get to fellowship with one another We have to pray for one another. It's a joy for us to be numbered among the people of God and to be able to gather together like this as a family and to worship Him and to glorify Him. We want Him to be the center of our time today, the center of of who we are as His people, that we would not lose sight of who our identity is found in. Our identity is not found in the things in this world or not found in the things even our own heart crying out, um, whether it's our sin or in our own pride and arrogance, how great we are. Our identity is not found in our jobs, our positions of authority or lack thereof. It is not found in our houses, in our material possessions and in our money. Those can all be good things. But in the end, if that is what our identity is found in, if that defines who we are, then we are missing the reality of the joy of the presence of God dwelling within us through the Holy Spirit as His people. And then we miss God Himself. We miss Him and the joy that is found in Him. Through the book of Galatians, Paul has laid out over and over again to these Christians saying, don't fall back on these things that will not satisfy. You are seeking life and now you're being deceived that if you just follow the law and you become a good Jew, even though you're Gentiles, that you're not a Christian until you follow the law and you're circumcised and you... You follow the seasons and the festivals and the days and the sacrifices. You are missing the point that as Christians, you already have life. You have already received it, not through your works. What good did you do, Paul says? How awesome were you? You're nothing without the power and the grace of God You cannot find any righteousness in and of yourself in the eyes of God. We can do good things in this world. We can be really good people. But when we compare ourselves to the perfection of God, one little misstep, one little white lie corrupts the entire lump. And Paul is saying there's nothing you can do, guys, on your own. You cannot be justified. You cannot be made right in the eyes of God by being as good a person as you can, by coming to church on a regular basis. If we're gonna put it in today's, giving offering on a regular basis, doing your bone Bible study each and every morning. Those are all good things, but if God is not the foundation or we are seeking to do those things in order to be made justified before God, we will utterly fail because then we're relying upon our works and not upon the work of Christ himself. We who believe in Christ through grace are all sons of God, Paul says. And he uses that word specifically. He doesn't say sons and daughters. He says sons of God because we are heirs with Christ, the Son of God. That as his people, now we don't become deities, we don't become gods who rule over worlds of our own or anything like that, but we are heirs with Christ in that we inherit, even though we're adopted, we're not treated like adopted children. We're not treated like second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. We are fellow heirs with Christ of the eternal life, of the joy, of the peace, and ultimately of the presence of God himself, not because of us. But because of Him, we are all sons of God as Christ is the Son of God. Christ became like us so that we might become like Him. We are perfect in the eyes of God, not because of us, but because of His Son and the sacrifice His Son made. We are full heirs of Christ and with Christ. Well, then today, as we look at these words, Paul, there's a lot of knowing, a lot of knowledge. What does it mean to know something? Biblically, what does it mean to know something? What does it mean to know God? What does it mean to be known by God? And what are the implications for us as his people? We have to remember this passage, this whole book of Galatians is written to Christians who are already saved, who have fallen back on legalism or moralism to save them. And Paul's saying, no, you've already believed the gospel. You've already welcomed the good news of Jesus Christ. Why would you fall back now on these legalistic things, the law? Why would you do that? Because it's fruitless and it's hopeless, Why? Because you know God. He says right away, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those things that by nature are not God's. Before the Galatians had any knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, before Paul ever came or anybody else ever spoke the truth of God's word to him, he says you were slaves. Their lack of the knowledge of God meant that they were enslaved to the desires of things that do not exist. False gods, idols who by nature can do nothing in and of themselves. They bowed down to these idols, asking for rain to fall on their crops, hoping that their sacrifices would be accepted, but it's all in vain. And then, of course, in our modern Enlightenment day, we say, well, those silly people praying for rain. And instead of idols, we bow down to the things of this world like politicians and material possessions and jobs and money. If I only can make a little bit more, then I will be happy. That's praying to rain. That's a false idol. It's all in vain in the end. The Galatians' lack of the knowledge of God meant that their daily lives revolved around what, doing whatever it would take to please these things which were powerless to actually do what was asked of them. Their lack of the knowledge of God meant that their hopes and their dreams were placed in fantasies, in inanimate objects that were weak and worthless. But even more desperately, their lack of the knowledge of God meant that they had no hope of rescue from the heavy chains of slavery which weighed them down. Their lack of the knowledge of God meant that they were seeking the wisdom and the knowledge and the intimacy that this world is striving to achieve, which in the end only ends up as ash in the mouth. Sure, it fills you, but it's never satisfying. And then, again, the greatest word ever in Scripture. But. Formerly, this is how you were. But. But then you heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. The life, the word that brings life. And you came to know God. Knowing God is a relationship that is deeper and more intimate than any earthly relationship that we could ever experience. I think Paul puts it even more intimately in in, in that we don't come to know God, but rather we become known by God. That's something, totally, it's not a head knowledge. There's a lot of people in this world who Know of God. They could read God's word even, and they can say all the points. Well, this is who God is, and this is who God is, and this is who God is. And they can spout out all of this information, but they've never been known by God. Because head knowledge, as good as it is, doesn't save you. And I don't even say you need heart knowledge. No, you need God. You could be as emotional as you want about spirituality and about God himself and still not be known by God. But when you are known by God, it is a deep, personal, intimate relationship between the creator and the created. Every human being is endowed by the creator God with his image. Every human being is a valued creation of God. He knows every human by name that has ever existed throughout all of huma- uh, history. He knows all of humanity, but he knows those who belong to him. There's a difference between knowing, and knowing. This is partially why God uses marriage as an earthly example of His relationship with His people. Even if you aren't married, even if you're a child, you can understand that the knowledge that a husband and wife have of one another is very different. It's a very different type of knowledge between friends. Now, you may know me, you may know my likes. You may not even know some of the sins that I struggle with. And you're praying for me. But you will never know me the way that my wife knows me. The way that I know my wife. God knows every human being that he has ever created. But he knows those who are his children. Those who belong to him. You say, well then isn't that limiting God? No, it's not god's limiting himself if you want to put it that way there is no limit to god he knows every human being but he chooses to know his people or better maybe to say he knows they are known by him better and more deeply and more intimately Formerly, when we did not know God, we were enslaved to those things that are by nature, not God's, our opinions, thoughts, politics, fleshly desires, preferences, social media, friends, family, money, material possessions, like we could just go on and on and on and on and on. We were ignorant of the truth and the hope and the salvation that was found in God through his son, Jesus Christ. We were slaves and enemies of God, unable to receive the inheritance of the blessing an everlasting life, and the gift of God himself. But now that we have come to be known by God, his work in us, not us striving to know him, what saves us? His knowing us, not us knowing him. Now that we have come to be known by God, He reveals Himself to us. He reveals His character to us. Those who do not know God, they can never receive such beauty and joy and peace and contentment, which is found only in Him. Only in Him. To know God and to be known by God is to see and experience God for who He really is is we see the character of god we see the discipline of god we see the grace of god we see the mercy of god we see even the wrath of god and as his people because we know him we know it is good because god is good he reveals himself to us And his people stand up and they glorify him. They don't run away. They don't have fear as in, you know, oh, this is horrible and he's going to discipline me and I'm afraid because he's going to abuse me. No, we welcome his discipline in our life because we know it's for our good and for his glory. And we fear God because we understand that we are this and he is infinite. We worship an infinite God and this infinite God, this powerful God, he, he chooses to reveal himself to us as his people. Again, not because Elm Creek is awesome, but because he's awesome. Why? Why would he do that? If you figure that out, let me know. Other than, what did he say to the, to the Egyptians during the plague? I'm going to bring these plagues, and by the end, they will know that I am God. They will know who I am. I will reveal myself to them. It will be obvious who I am. And as God's people, He reveals Himself, and we say, Praise God. That is who I worship. I don't worship this puny, teeny, tiny little God because I know Him and I have experienced Him for who He really is. And I look at His character and I look at His nature. And it brings me to worship of Him. Now, Paul doesn't speak directly of God's nature. He doesn't say this is who God is. Instead, he focuses on the nature of those false gods, those elementary principles of the world. We looked at that last week. What does that mean? This, the ABCs of life for the for the uh, Gentiles. It was um, earth, air, water, um, and fire, and they had deities, and they ran the the life of the of the Gentiles. That if something bad happened, then it, I didn't sacrifice enough to this God of the sea. And, you know, it ruled their lives. It dictated their lives. And for the Jews, their God, these elementary principles, became, the law became those elementary principles. It became their false God, in a sense. They created laws so they wouldn't break the law. And then the laws, those extra laws, became their gods. And they lost sight of Jesus standing right in front of them and he's healing on the Sabbath and he's doing awesome works to bring glory to God and the Jews sat back and said, you're of the devil because you broke our law and you broke this law, not understanding the true law. The law became their God. God was not their God any longer. And so these elementary principles, these false idols, these gods, that had no existence at all. Paul focuses on that. He says, look at the nature of these gods. What are they? These gods that you were enslaved to. And if you're a Jew, this law that you were enslaved to, what is it? It is weak and it is worthless. By nature, these things are dead. For the Gentiles... These were idols made of wood, stone, and metal. For the Jews, it was the requirement of the law following the days and the months and the seasons and the years. And neither the idols nor the law could achieve what was asked of them. They were powerless to give the life that the Galatians and the Jews were seeking. They wanted life. Do we see that today? Do we see that? we, We want to have life here on earth. We want to have... We want to have joy, we want to have kindness, we want to receive the nature of God all of humanity is dying and desiring to have fulfillment and receive life They may not understand exactly what that means, but all of the world is seeking something more than themselves and they're seeking it in the things of these world this world that never satisfies that are dead in and of themselves, no matter how good they are and they miss christ himself they miss god himself where these idols are worthless where these idols are powerless god is powerful who created the world and who created everything in it yahweh Who by the blink of an eye or a simple sound from his voice can create something out of nothing or absolutely destroy it? Who commands the seas only to go so far? Who rules the winds of the air? Who is ultimately involved in the history of humanity? Yahweh. God. God himself. We could go through the the books of Psalm, The book of of Psalms. Read read each of those Psalms, right? And... How many of them talk about the power and the awesome awesomeness of God? That man strives to do this or to do that, and God is the one who actually has the power to do all of these things. God is powerful where these false idols are weak, and where the false idols are worthless, God is priceless. Like the man who found a treasure hidden in a field and in his joy he sold all that he had to buy that field. Or like the merchant who found one pearl of such great value that he sold all that he owned so that he could buy that one pearl. So it is, so is God for those who are known by him. There is nothing... In comparison to God for those who were known by him, as Paul writes in Philippians 3, 8, 8, and 9. Hear these words, listen to these. He says, now remember, this is this is Paul. This is Paul who's been through a lot, <laughs> to say the least, as a Christian. Shipwrecked, stoned, beaten, whipped, ridiculed. Before that, he had everything. He was a Jew of Jews. And he says, indeed, I count everything as lost, as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Let me say that again. I count everything. What does he mean by everything? Is there your interaction. What does he mean by everything? Everything. Yeah, there's no special word like, well, I mean, he means this, but not this. Well, this, but not this. That's what we like to do. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Everything we pursue in this world, money, relationships, power, pride, being one of the cool kids, I don't know what that's like. Like we strive all these things, right? We want people to like us. We want, we want to do what's right. Or we want to do what we want to do. All of it, no matter how good it is. I love my children to death. I will stand in front of a bullet to save my children's lives. But as a Christian, I count it all nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Now, what does he say? Is he saying my children are worthless? No, he's saying compared to Christ, they're nothing. I could stand in front of a bullet for my children and I die. And if I don't know Christ, I go to hell. What, was, what good was it then that I stood in front of a bullet? In the eyes of God, it's like, well, that was a nice, that was nice. I'm, I'm glad that you saved your child's life, but the reality is you've lost your soul, Mark. Paul saying, I, I count everything as loss. I'm willing to lose all. And eventually Paul does. He loses all. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish, as garbage, as worthy of the dump. In order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. There is no price that can be placed on God. For all things in this world, whatever we hold high in this world, they are all rubbish when compared to him. And all of God's people goes, amen, right? Like, yeah, we're all hyped. Okay, now look at your own heart. Do we live this out? And You say, well, Mark, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be guilty. I want to be rah-rah so I can go off in this week and live for Christ. It's like, yes, absolutely. I hope we do that. But the reality is where are our hearts do I hold my home higher than Christ? If I was to lose my house for whatever reason, could I stand there and say this is hard? But man, it's nothing compared to the fact that I know Christ. If if COVID has done anything, it has stripped us of those things that we held so dear, and then we sing songs like all I have is Christ. And I'm okay with that. It's easy to sing, but do we actually believe that? Do we actually live that out? If we are known by God, then we are no longer enslaved to the false gods of this world. We possess Yahweh, the creator God, not because we have been good enough for him, but because he has graciously made himself known to us. Are we willing to lose all? And what does all mean? All. If it means that I get to know Christ. Do I consider all things in my life as rubbish compared to the surpassing knowledge of the joy and the graciousness and the awesomeness that is Christ? If we are God's children, we are known By God himself, by Yahweh, the God of all creation. So how can we then, as Paul says, turn back to the weak and worthless gods of this world? And yet we find ourselves in the place of the Galatians more often than not doing just that, don't we? And you say, well, do I not love Jesus then? No, because Christ saves, not your perfection. Paul fears that he's labored over the Galatians in vain, but if they had truly believed the gospel message of Jesus Christ, he says, "You are children of God. You are known by God." Remember, this is, this used to be your life, formerly before you knew God, but now you know God, or better way says, God knows you. God knows you. Do you see? He says to the Galatians the reality that God is more precious than anything else. You used to believe that, you used to say that, you used to live that out, and now you've fallen back. You've been deceived, and you're falling back on these worthless things that could do nothing for you. In fact, you're asking them to do things that has already happened to you. You already have life because you were known by God. And so many times we've failed to live a life worthy Of the power and the pricelessness of God. And every single child of God stops and says, Thanks be to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not an excuse that I can go out and do whatever I want, but I, I sin, or it's revealed to me that I'm enslaving myself to these worthless, powerless things. And God opens my eyes to it and says, why are you doing this? Why why are you bowing down to these things that can't give you what I have already given you? Why are you so anxious and so worried and so overwhelmed by these things that have no power over you? You're giving them that power. Stop it. I have already overcome this world. I have already saved you. I have already given you life. Now bask in my glory, and that I know you by name. I know you intimately. There is nothing better than me. And when God reveals, and when I say me, I mean God, so don't get that confused, okay? When God says that to us, he's reminding us, as his children, man, you failed. Every parent, when the child fails, I was going to say, every good and godly parent, when the child fails... Corrects. Sometimes a correction is a don't do that. Sometimes it's, oh, you've lost computer time for a month, right? Or you're grounded, or whatever. And some are more severe than others. But if the parent loves the child and the child knows that the parent loves them, the child, as much as he hates the discipline, will go, This, I know this is good for me. Maybe not until they're 35 and they have their own children, but they will figure it out. And as God's children, we stand back and we go, I failed. And God says, yes, you're going to face the consequences of that. You're putting your desire and all of of who you are in these things that, you know what, when you're dead are not going to matter in the end. They're going to be gone. Stop doing it. And I will give you the power, my power, and I will give you the grace, my grace. And I will give you the mercy, my mercy to live out the life that I have called you to. Because I know you and you are mine. You do not belong to the things of this world. You do not belong to these worthless and uh, powerless elementary principles of the world. You belong to me and you are mine. And when that God says that to us, is this people, we've, we're, we're heartbroken that we have we've caused pain to our God. We've hurt our relationship with Him. And yet we bask. We bask in the mercy and the grace and the glory that God would... Uh, uh, maybe I should put it this way. When God disciplines... We need to give praise to him because as soon as he stops disciplining us, that's a problem. Because that means God has given up on us. Or more likely, what it means is we never belong to him to begin with. When a parent stops disciplining their, disciplining their, their child, do you know what that means? It means that parent no longer loves that child. And I'm talking good discipline, right? I mean, there's abusive parents. Don't, I'm not saying that. In an, I know in an ideal world, that that's what we're trying to think about. A good, good parent disciplines their child, corrects them. And when God stops correcting us, that's when we need to worry. Where is my heart? Has God handed me over to the desires of my heart where everybody does good in their own eyes? Evil is good and good is evil. But a child of God, when we sin, when we disobey, we give Him the glory because we know that we have gained Christ not having a righteousness of our own, but that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. Do you believe? Does God, does God know you? Are you known by god and this is what paul is saying to the galatians and he's saying it to us today stand firm in the truth that there is nothing more precious in this world than knowing and being known by god what's our purpose as a church our purpose is to know christ and to make christ known we play a a passive role in that Do you see that our we desire to know Christ and make Him known. Yes, we, we have things that we have to do and things that we have to say to this world, but we, we want to know Christ deeper. He reveals Himself to us. We are known by God. And we want the world around us to see not us, not Elm Creek, not our awesome disc golf time or our great Bible studies, or the great songs that we sing on Sunday morning, or how wonderful of a family it is that we can come together and love each other and care for each other. That's all good stuff. But if we're not pointing them to Christ, what are we pointing them to? If we're not reminding ourselves of who we belong to in Christ, then who are we saying we belong to? Stand firm in the truth that there's nothing more precious in the world then knowing Christ and being known by Christ and everything else is a wonderful loss that is rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Communion. We do it every three weeks. We come together as a family We remember what Christ did for us on the cross, shedding his blood, dying so that we might be saved, that we might know him. He revealed himself to us and we are known by him through Christ. No death on the cross, no salvation for us. We remember by Christ's command, this is what I did for you, don't ever forget it. And why do we never, why do we need to be reminded constantly? Because as humanity, man, we're we're very liable to forgetting, right? <laughs> I replaced some doors in my house this last this uh well, just a couple days ago. Yes yesterday, was that yesterday? See, it's already a long day, right? I couldn't remember, there was so much on my brain, I could not remember the word doors, and I had to have people remind me the word doors. Now that doesn't mean I have any issues, it just means I had too much on my plate, okay? That's what I'm sticking to, okay? But the reality is I had to be reminded, have to be reminded, have to be reminded. Why do I have a phone and it goes off and my appointments? Because if I don't have that, I need to be reminded because as Christians even, we tend to forget why we even exist. We tend to forget why we gather together as a church to worship. Sometimes we think it's for our good and the reality is we gather on a Sunday morning to worship Him, to an audience of one, to the one who's only, only one who's worthy of our glory. I love Aaron, I love the worship team. If we worship them, oh my gosh. if you're worshiping me as your pastor, oh my gosh, you are in trouble. And so we are to be reminded, who are you? Christ says you are mine. Why? Because I died for you. My blood was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. My body was sacrificed so that as the Passover lamb, so that the angel of death, eternal death, would pass over you and you would receive life. Not because you're awesome, but because of what I did for you. It's a chance for us as God's people to humble ourselves, to confess sin, to look at our own hearts and realize maybe I'm not as awesome as I think I am. But I know the one who is. I know the one who is, and he knows me by name, and so I worship Him. So as we take communion, as Dan and Luke pass out um, the the bread and the cup, as we um, eventually when they're done and we, we take the communion together as a people of God, uh, that's the key too that. And we ask this open communion that if you're a believer, you're more than welcome to, to join in us with that. Um, if you're an unbeliever, we ask that you refrain from it because we take this seriously. This doesn't do any magical thing in our lives that suddenly because I've taken communion that now suddenly I'm cleansed or whatever. No, nah, I was taken care of on the cross. That's why we do communion. I don't need to kill Christ twice. It's already done. I'm already cleansed as his child. This is to remind me why I'm cleansed as his child. So we'll pass it out. We'll hold on to the bread and the cup. We'll take it together. But during that time, may we reflect on the reality that we are known by God. And if you do not know God, if you are not a believer, take this time, go to him, accept the gift that God has given his son. Receive salvation. Be known by God. And receive the inheritance of life and blessing. And even more importantly, God Himself. So let's go to Him in this time of reflection.